on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll start the show with some genre-related news. Following the Christmas Day release of Wonder Woman 1984, Warner Brothers has fast-tracked development of Wonder Woman 3, set to be co-written and directed by Patty Jenkins. The studio indicates that Wonder Woman 3 will get a traditional theatrical release. Wonder Woman 84 opened in theaters and was simultaneously available for streaming via HBO Max. The movie earned $16 million in its initial weekend, and while that's kind of paltry for an ordinary blockbuster film, it was extremely well for the pandemic box office. Nichelle Nichols celebrated her 88th birthday earlier this week on December 28th. Ms. Nichols is, of course, best known as having portrayed communications officer Lieutenant Nyota Uhura on the original Star Trek television series, and we hope she enjoyed a great birthday. Marvel Comics has revealed its new costume for Spider-Man. The suit is designed by Dustin Weaver, Nick Spencer, and Nick Lowe, and makes its debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 61 on sale March 10th. You can check it out via the various Fantastic Forum social media. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. And December 31st marked 25 years since publication of the final Calvin and Hobbes comic. The strip was created by Bill Watterson and was syndicated from November 18, 1985 through December 31, 1995. It has been commonly referred to as the last great newspaper comic. The comic enjoys enduring popularity to this day. And today on the radio show, we're talking about all that and more. So it's time to introduce the panel. Joining me are Roberto Ortiz, Drew Bittner, and Julian Lytle. A couple of things that I had wanted to start with. Uh, one was, seems Spider-Man has another new costume. <laughs> it's like, what's this? Like his, his seventh new... Actually, you know, it's funny because I had thought this was like his fourth new costume. And then uh, somebody, it was actually uh, uh, Coyote Kendall, was telling me it was like his seventh new costume. And I'm like, I'm missing some of those in there. Because, I mean, of course, there, and I'm not counting the original red and blue costume, but there was the black costume that he got in Secret Wars. There was the, um, the Future Foundation costume. There was the Iron Spider, you know, and now there's this. What, what costume is am I missing? Spider. That's not his costume, though. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a variation. It's Ben's But it's not. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the, by the same token, I left out uh, Miles Morales' costume because, again, it's not 
this Spider-Man. I mean, so I, I suppose that could have been what Kai was talking about. <laughs> but no, but it, they, again, I was like, there's the there's the uh, big time costumes, which they actually had covers for, and they actually put out, and they actually called new costumes, like whatever was going on. Oh, this you were talking about like back after the um, uh, what was it, the uh, Superior Spider-Man? Yeah, 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 you know. So, but did those costumes? Didn't, I, I thought those all looked relatively like the uh no. the original it like costume. all there's like an all black one with like green glowing things also yeah. there's the alex ross costume yes. it's like the glowing uh the glowing light underneath the, the spider symbol and like the little metal parts so mm. like in the last 10 years he's had at least five mm. wow well, not, fair, counting, not counting not counting spider oh. the most radical change because the colors are completely different yeah that's that's a big one Oh, you're talking about with this new one? Yeah. It won't be that long. No. It'll be like an arc. You know. It, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna it's gonna go away by like you know summertime, before the before the next Spider-Man movie. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. It'll it, yeah. It'll it'll be it'll be coming gone by the time of next next winter. So it's like yeah. Like, the media costumes don't count. I would say the media. Yeah. Con- so there's there's the Amazing Spider-Man suit. Then there's uh you know the uh, MCU suits, and then there's the PlayStation, the PlayStation Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Those I think are considered more canon than even some of these other suits because within those realms, those are the Spider-Man suits. You know, those are the ones people like care about, and they count as yeah. Peter outfits to a degree. Hmm. I'm surprised they haven't brought them into like the comics yet. Cause some like I ain't gonna lie, the uh, MCU with a little bit of black added to it, it works. Like yeah. the black around the arms and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a decent outfit. But the yeah. thing is that the, the new one, the he looks more like more related to Spider Gwen than Spider Man in terms of the color palette and how it looks. It's like uh, I don't know. It's like making Batman yellow all of a sudden and they tell me that's Batman and it's like no, he's the signal. He's different character for crying out loud no, yeah no. I'm, not, I'm not sold in this new costume I, I don't think it really adds much and I, I I'm, I'm with Julian I don't think it's gonna last very long so I agree there's a certain way that I think spider-man is supposed to look and uh, this new costume that I saw it ain't that <laughs> I'll tell you that it definitely ain't that but yeah you know I, obviously we have to acknowledge that part of what's going on here is is marketing and you know the because the, really? I, I, I yeah, well, ha 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 ha. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm I'm kind of to the point with Marvel where, I mean, I haven't actually been buying any Marvel comics. I got to acknowledge that, and um, it's part of it is because of where I think they are right now, and it reminds me a lot of DC back when I was a youngster reading them uh, in the in the seventies. And uh, this is kind of worse, but here's the thing. The distinction for me was the DC characters had been around a lot longer. Detective comics, action comics, they were on like number 400. Well, while the Marvel comics were on like 100s and just cracking 200. And my feeling at the time was that because the DC characters had been around a lot longer and it had so many more stories uh the i don't want to say that they had kind of run out of ideas but 
that's akin to where I'm going with this. Well, you know, it had just been, yeah, you know, and, and yeah. And then, you know, they, they started doing these event type stuff. I remember the original crisis on exactly crisis on infinite earths. And, you know, it was because they had the multiverse and it was like, how many freaking earths are there? All right, well, we're going to do this crisis thing and we're going to consolidate everything down to one earth. And, you know, now, honestly, because time wise, Marvel has been around longer now than DC had been around then. And I get the same feeling of the bankruptness of stories. I know that's not like really a word, but you know, that's, that's the way it feels. It's like, we got, we got nothing. We're throwing spaghetti up on the wall to basically try and see what sticks in our effort to retain readers. And on top of that, you've actually got a greater crisis going on in the comics industry today than you had then, because you still had people reading comics. I mean, and there weren't as many draws on the free time of people. I mean, it, video games were in their infancy. Kids still went out and played Little League ball and, you know, all this kind of thing. I mean, today, shoot. I mean, well, the, but the, the point I'm making is com reading comics was something that you did. You know, that was, uh, that was a, a, it was an activity. It was uh, like a Hallmark kind of activity. Know? And now there are just so many other things that young people can do. Uh, you're, you're not having a lot, a lot of new readers, at least not into superhero comics. I mean, I think comics in terms of sequential storytelling, that's not going away. But, you know, I think that some of them, the, well, right now, the most creative stuff that's happening isn't happening at DC or Marvel. It's either no. independents or yeah. uh, individual publishers and stuff that doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with superheroes. You know, I mean, some very interesting comic stories that are like YA type of stories or stories dealing with families or, you know, it, stuff like that, you know, as opposed well, the to is, is, traditional is, is, is comic the market, the markets have changed. My nephews and nieces read graphic novels. They love them. It's just that the flippers, the comic books we grew up when don't appeal to them, but the collections like the ones they sell from Japan, they appeal to them. They, are, they like the idea of sitting down, reading a full story, and that's it. They don't want to wait a whole month. And um, my, uh, my, my nephew uh, likes to read One Piece. He likes to read a lot of manga. There's a lot of... Uh, they like Japanese comics. They're, they're, they're not as novi about them as our generation, sorry, that's true. And it's just that the market has changed. And I think that um, DC and Marvel can appeal to the market if they follow, for example, what Archie Comics has done, that they reinvent themselves every couple of years uh, in terms of targeting new markets. They just need to accept the fact that the readership has changed and they need to change accordingly. I don't, I don't know if they're... Right now, what's keeping Archie afloat is a is an hour long show on CW for half the year. They're not doing as well as I think people think, and they're not in as many grocery stores as people in the comic book land like to think that they are. Um, hmm. um I think the I I do think there's a pivot happening. Um, I, DC is is making more books for the market for like your nep nieces and nephews and such like they have 
whole YA and middle grade books that are doing pretty well. And, um, you know, Marvel clearly is doing, I guess, well enough off the whatever, however they do. Um, they flood the market, and then they also have, um, right now, the X-Men are doing well again. Um, but, you know, I, I there's certain changes and certain storytelling techniques and things, because even with manga, like something like you brought up One Piece. One Piece has been an ongoing story since 1997. It's 23 years old. It's reaching chapter 1000 in five in like two and a half days in Japan, but five days for us. And there's no stopping it. it but it sells millions a year. So I it's it's I just think some the focus the focus of the stories is is different, and they'll and they'll change. And and what kids are into is different. It's a little bit more open. They have more access to things. Um, I do. You're right. I do think uh, folks a little bit that's older than me, like your ages, do. You guys did have this thing against Japanese stuff for some reason, even though all the good cartoons were animated in Japan, and you could clearly tell the difference. So I never understood it. Like, so it, it there was a shift, and then you know younger people got into it, and then it it went down, and it came back up. I, I don't. We're in a weird place in comics because everything is changing. We're really going to see how things shake out, I think, in a couple of years from now. Agreed. Where comics are and where comics are going to be. I know I know. Webtoon is a, is a sleeping giant that no one's paying yes. attention to. Yes. Uh, Drew, your, your wife basically was telling me about, uh, a lot about webcomics. Uh, what's the, the web platform she, she likes to use? She, she looks at webtoons. That's, that's the one that Brielle and Kat were both looking at. And it's got currency it's it's the sort of thing that that kids my daughter's age can look at and feel like they're they, they connect to it and it's got pretty much everything under the sun so it's not just you know the same old genres it hasn't boiled down like the big two have to really just mostly superhero or superhero tangent style storytelling so you know um my, my personal feeling is that the big two are in a state of crisis, as was said yeah. before. I think they're struggling. I don't think that they really feel like they have the answers. Um, I think they're in some ways captive to trying to do again what always used to work before, and it's not working now. And the upshot of it is they're going to have to look to their corporate parents and say, look, we need to develop some synergies here that we haven't tried before. You know, get some of these books, you know, get QR codes for books into the um, DVDs or streaming content, you know, bundle this with some of the stuff that we're doing, um, cross promote, like whatever, whatever it takes, whatever we can do, we got to do it because this is where the stories come from. And you can't just say, oh, we're sitting on 50, 60, 80 years of stories. Because, frankly, a lot of those stories are not going to adapt well in this day and age. So, you know, keep the, the, the goose alive. Keep the goose laying the golden eggs. And it's, it's not that expensive to do, but the companies just aren't thinking that way right now. Do you yeah. think that there's a commitment to doing that, though, Drew? Because one of the things that, that I see is that the original source material... You know, this IP, um, yeah, it's valued, but I, I don't think that it's treasured exactly. And I know that sounds like semantics, but you look at the 
way I think that the studios that they look at the the source material in terms of the television productions and the movies and yeah they want the stuff as a basis for that but I do they need really for their stuff to be coming out new to be able to do that I mean I think, I think the studios look at this as juvenile garbage that talented filmmakers turn into pop culture gold and exactly. I don't think I don't think there's any respect at all for the original IP. I don't think there's any respect for the creators. I don't think that they understand this well enough to to, to know why that's so insulting an attitude. Um, and why, frankly, you know... But, but the thing is that... I, I was going to say something else, but they do the exact same thing with authors. They do the exact same things with novels and with everything else. So it's not unique to comic books that they look down on anything other than their own art form because they think that their contribution elevates it to the next level. So, but I, but oh, I, I thought I, that at I least don't, with... I don't know if I completely agree. I think, I think some of what Drew says is true in terms of people, especially the older producers and stuff, but I don't think that the younger producers think that way because they've been born and bred in, in this hyper-consumerist fandom fed things that the older producers made so i do think they kind of believe in some of the stuff and it's a way to make their name i just think it's a little bit more cynical and it's more like it's climbing a ladder you know i don't i don't i i think there are people julian i'm not saying that i'm not saying that all the producers feel this way i think that the studios feel this way but no at this point like the studio like there's not a lot of old guys at the studio like an average exec is like my age. Yeah, they're younger guys so, sitting in those like, seats now. Yeah. And even the even the guys who run the businesses, um, yo, they might be fifty. Like I don't I, I think it's it's a it's a shift in the idea and mixing from different pots and going from different brands and seeing how different businesses are run. Uh but it's in the end it's gonna they got analytics now. It's like when you watch Moneyball yes. and you see um, Homeboy with Brad Pitt talking about, like, hey, we can figure out how we can always get this dude to get a base hit to always get on second. Like, at this point, they got so much data, they're going to try to find the best way. And personally, personally, and Ulysses was there when I was with, when I was in Endgame. I didn't enjoy it like everybody else. But I knew this. It's like, I don't know why you need superhero comic books no more. Because at this point, the people they got making the movies, they they can do every they can do everything that the comic book people can do, the artists at least, and it looks way better. And this is not knock on on the artists. I'm an artist myself, but bro, I saw all the Avengers attack Thanos, and Cap said Avengers assemble. Like I don't even like what am I what am I reading this for like. Yeah, that's but, why I'm reading. That's why I'm reading manga because you know what? Can nobody do One Piece? I don't care what. I don't care how much money they put into it. Can nobody do it? But the thing is that hold, hold that thought. Just hold that, Roberto. Just for a second, hold that thought. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA ninety six point seven FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by 
Julian Lytle, Drew Bittner, and Roberto Ortiz. And we have gone down the rabbit hole again, people. So, uh, Roberto, what was it you were going to say? Don't underestimate the power that comic books have, or sequential storytelling, which is another nice way of calling it, to be uh, an experimental lab or IP, to develop IP is cheap, can be done quickly, and you can produce ideas fairly quickly. And I think that what's going to happen, in my humble opinion, is that either Netflix or Disney, it's not going to be uh, HBO Max at all because they don't get it yet. They're going to basically start something specifically in terms of sequential storytelling. I'm not going to call it comic books because they're going to rebrand it into something else. But they will read because you'll, uh, Julian is right. The analytics is key. If they have the ability to test some ideas in a cheap way, cheaper than animation with sequential storytelling, and being able to see what's working and what's not, they'll use it to develop IP in other mediums. Instead of spending millions of dollars on something that is not going to work, they can spend thousands of dollars on some an, an idea in a medium that can be released quickly and see if there's a follow, following for that and then take it to the next step. I can see that happening. I think uh, Warners is already doing it, to be quite honest. But um... We what? I'm curious. Uh, you have you seen the amount of new digital comics that come out each week? Ah, I um, see. like, I think there's a there's a certain amount of synergy. Like, sorry, until re- like I still don't see that much synergy in between Marvel Comics and like Marvel Studios. I know, like, I agree. They got to change their stuff to kind of match the movies, but it's not like, hey, back and forth. Like, the dude was on in the thing talking about our next move is a multiverse option. We're going to multiverse and have four movies a year and two movies on HBO Max and this type of show. And what's the next big push for DC? It's like a infinite uh, multiverse thing, right? Yeah. None of that even come out yet. It's already on the books. The plans is already happening. ATT is a different is a different boss. Uh, you know what I'm saying? saying? Very yeah, yeah, and I kind of hope so because I I hope that AT and T has an appreciation for the IP that Warner Brothers brings, and I agree in terms of the assessment about comics and the proving ground that is uh, comic books. You know, that is the sequential storytelling thing. Uh, I don't think that Warner has had an appreciation for that up to this point. But I, I, and my hope is that AT&T sees greater value in that because I, I do believe that there is a future for comic books, maybe not for superhero comics, but, you know, comic books have always been, it's always been a fad. I mean, whether we're talking about romance comics being big or horror comics or war comics or Western comics or detective comics or whatever, and the superhero thing just kind of... It never, it never petered out, you know, to the point where that's what a lot of people, that was their point of entry, and that's what they knew, you know. And so I don't know, maybe it's finally time for this thing to, to kind of peter out and for uh, different comics to be popular again. Yeah, I, I would say what Disney has a stranglehold on is the adolescent mind and the entertainment type. 
Yeah. Because I've yet to turn on anything on Disney to get anything for an adult. So as long as, as long as there's still a market for like a show that actually has to deal with actual adult things and films with adult things, that and Disney's only getting special effects Oscars and animated mm-hmm. film Oscars. When when on terms of capital, you know, capital A commerce art, Warner Brothers still got them in that regards. You know, um, yeah. So we'll, yeah, War- we'll Warner see. Brothers makes real movies. <laughs> that's true. And they got HBO, and I know HBO Max is a, is a thing they like to talk about. That's oh, it flounders, but like before it was an app, it was a cable network that literally has the most Emmy nominations and the best shows for the last twenty years, twenty two years. So this is yeah, like, but, but they had a problem, and specifically that low management from HBO left. Because of they jumped to Netflix, because they were upset that they were being forced to produce more content. Because they always HBO, you're correct. They always have seen themselves as uh, the Tiffany of networks. You know that anything that's done is analyzed today, is thought out, is very quality, high quality content. And they felt that they were being pushed by uh, AT and T just to produce way more content than they were comfortable with doing. That that's that's true. But Netflix does the same thing. And again, HBO had the most Emmy nominations. They just have the better shows. And I watch a lot of shows. And the shows that are on HBO, regular, degular, I turn to it on Sundays to 8 and 11, higher standard of show. Just is. It just doesn't oh, yeah. always have something to do with a, with a superhero and a universe and a franchise. And, you know, hey, we'll see what's going to happen. But eventually this is going to burn out. Because it burnt out before. Yeah, it always happens. That's the thing. It's like um, it happened with the Westerns. People forget how big Westerns were. And all of a sudden, one day, they just burned out. <laughs> Crime dramas, too. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. You know. I, in fact, I think we're seeing that with the crime dramas now. Uh, you know, because they, they yeah, how many more of these shows can you make? Another one are doctor shows. <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, I think with the, the crime show, it's a because real life. Real life is yeah. a yeah. crime show. Courtroom procedurals too, you know, mm-hmm. like L- L.A. Law and Boston Legal and mm-hmm. L.A. McBeal and all these other shows. They're they're gone. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know that western. Yeah, the western thing though is is particularly on point because western shows were all there were at one point on television. You know, you yeah. look at the fifties and then into the sixties and. You know, now it's rare that uh, that Hollywood makes a Western, you know. But, hey, that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break. We've reached the end of the first segment of the show. Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We are a community radio station. And among other things, that means that this is someplace where you can get involved. Visit the website at WERA.FM or our parent corporation, Arlington Independent Media at arlingtonmedia.org to find out how you can take a class or otherwise get involved in what we have going on here. I promise you, you won't be sorry. So we're going to step aside momentarily while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of our underwriters and sponsors and promote some of the other fine WERA offerings that are coming up. But don't touch that dial because... Drew and Roberto and Julian and I are going to be right back right after this. 
and welcome back to the Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington and streaming online via WERA.FM. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle and Roberto Ortiz. And uh, we had kind of gone down the rabbit hole a little bit in the first segment of the show. We had started talking about Spider-Man's new costume, and that led to all sorts of wonderful and fanish things. Uh, I, this is a bit of a departure, what we're doing here, because, of course, this is the first show of 2021. And it had been my, yeah, well, it had been my habit uh, at the conclusion. In fact, last week, too, because ordinarily the last show of the previous year, we do a sort of look back on the year. But that wasn't a year I'd really wanted to look back on. And you <laughs> you <know>? burning? <laughs> uh, well, it was just, it was so, it was so far afield from what everybody had expected. And uh, in fact, it might be worth a laugh if you want to uh, go to Mixcloud where the shows uh. are archived or uh, check out the podcast uh, via the Great Geek Refuge or any of the myriad platforms where podcasts are available and listen to some of those shows from last year or at the conclusion of the end of the year before you'll see just how different they are and in fact where i was going with this was ordinarily this show today would have been looking forward to 2021 and all the wonderful things that 2021 has to offer <laughs> but you know what i don't know what is in store for 2021 there's no, so much content that has been shelved. Uh, of course, right now we are in the midst of uh, starting to just starting to vaccinate against the virulent COVID-19 virus. And so I said, you know, I, I, unlike some people, I'm not going to speculate. But nope. there was something extremely worthy of note that uh, came along at the end of last year. And uh, while we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, I did at least want to reference it because it's a big deal. Of course, I'm talking about the release of Wonder Woman 84, the sequel to the big Wonder Woman film that had been directed by Patty Jenkins and starring Gal Gadot uh, from a couple of years ago. So they couldn't push it back any longer. Warner said, hey, December 25th, we are going to actually release this in theaters and via HBO Max. I understand it, uh, I mean, pandemic-wise anyway, it did okay. Earned $16 million in release over the Christmas weekend, which uh, a paltry sum uh, back during non-pandemic times. But under a pandemic, particularly when people are taking their lives in their hands to go see the Amazonian princess, it was... A, uh, a reaping, shall we say. Uh, I myself watched the film on HBO Max. Uh, I'm assuming that you guys have some thoughts. Uh, before we get into talking about it, though, and like I said, we're not devoting a lot of time to this. This, this is going to have to be a whole episode, yep. and we're going to need Shireen if we're going to do this right. Yep. But um, I, I did note that apparently Wonder Woman 3 has been fast-tracked. It looks as if Patty Jenkins is going to direct and co-write. And personally, I think that's a mistake after having seen this movie. I oh. thought Patty Jenkins did a really good job with the first one. Um, I, in fact, it's one of my favorite superhero movies. 
Uh, I think one of the best comic book adaptations ever made. I uh, don't want to be too um, uh, effusive in my praise for the film. But this was absolutely not that. I mean, I think it suffered from a lot of the same things that sequels uh, suffer from. But And there were some uh, other pretty serious problems in terms of uh, presentations of uh, morality on the part of the characters. And I think some very damaging subliminal messages uh, to women about uh, subordinate positions and how they uh, how they are defined uh, and how they define themselves. But uh, not going to go into a lot of that. But I would love to see what somebody else could do uh, with the Wonder Woman character. I think that in terms of getting it launched, I think Patty Jenkins did a uh, workmanlike job. But now it might be the time to pass the torch. That's just kind of my thoughts but i'm curious uh, in terms of what you guys thought without getting too deep into it uh julian what'd you think it was um it was two hours two and a half hours two and a half hours it looked really good it looked really it was good. a really good looking movie i agree it looked great on my 4k television <laughs> good performances not not totally floating my boat. Hmm. Okay, that's a good review. Short of a review, but I, I appreciate thoughts. Drew, what about you? Well, I watched it with Catherine and Brielle, and it was a little bit challenging because they were both going back and forth talking about different things as we were watching it. So, so my, my of course they was, were <laughs> was, was a bit divided. Um, loved the look of the movie. Um, I thought the some of the action set pieces were real good. The the fight with the security force in the Egyptian desert, I thought was pretty good. Um, in, in retrospect, there's an awful lot of stuff that is just really problematic. And I use that term, you know, <laughs> uh, gently, mm. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's some, there's some stuff in it that, that really, it, it, it would have benefited from having someone else come in and really look at the script because the script itself I thought was pretty bad. The performances I thought were good. I think Pedro Pascal continues to amaze me and impress me um, with everything he does. Gal Gadot is perfect as Wonder Woman. Kristen Wiig, I, I don't know if it's her or if it's her, the way her character was written, but her character didn't really work for me. And Steve Trevor, I mean, we can, we'll, we'll get into that at some point. Maybe when you do your future show, Yuli, but, uh, ooh, yeah, there, there's problems with Steve Trevor. So, mm. anyway. Mm. Roberto, what about you? I, I know you've got some thoughts. Specifically, I liked it because of uh, spoiler. I like the concept a lot of the character of Asteria. I like the, uh, what they can do with the character if they actually decide to exploit it in another movie. I like a lot what they did with Maxwell Lord. I like that they were showing something as uh, me as a Latino I've never seen before, and I'm kind of appreciated which is basically the concept of a Latino guy going into what would be called an ethnic closet, basically to be able to succeed in America, and how that created this crisis of identity in terms of him. And he really took a character that, honestly, in the comic book tends to come across a little bit two-dimensional, and gave it meat. I really... I didn't even see him as a villain. I saw him as a victim specifically, and that's a sign of a good villain. That I felt empathy for him, and I could understand his motivations. So, 
for me, Pedro Pascal is the one who basically made me give the movie a higher grade. I really, really, really like what they do with that character. Mm. You know, I had, up until you mentioned that Asteria thing, I had forgotten about the Linda Carter cameo. But I, I got to say, I really liked that. I, I was very interested, uh, of course, because of Linda Carter's history with this character. I was very interested in seeing her be involved in some form or fashion. One of the things that had been floated after the first movie was that Linda Carter should have played her mother. I am so glad she didn't. Uh, not Great. because, uh, yeah, not because, because, and I think she did done a fine job with it. Uh, and um, of course, Connie Nielsen, great actress, love what she did. My issue with having Linda Carter in that kind of role would have been that it would have pulled me out of the movie because you show me Linda Carter, I'm going to be like, oh, smack, it's the original Wonder Woman. Ah! You know, and, and I would have been so busy geeking out that I probably would have missed like the, the next three minutes of dialogue. And I think that there was a recognition on the part of the filmmakers that this was likely to happen. So uh, whether there was a consideration of uh, having her in that role or not, uh, you, you don't want to do that. Frankly, I thought this Asteria thing was great because, you know, they, this this character is supposed to be the Amazon's greatest warrior who defended their retreat from man's world and sacrificed herself. And, you know, to, yeah, to, but to get to see Linda Carter uh, doing this, the only thing that's left now is we got to see Linda Carter standing side by side or you know be still my heart perhaps even fighting side by side with gal well, Gadot's like, wonder woman if they made the sequel with her the character next villain that is logical for wonder woman would be Circe. asteria has been with humanity since the greeks that means that Circe would be a bad guy that would be her bad guy imagine she basically would be helping diana fight one of her original bad guys when Circe was messing with humanity back in the times of the Greeks. Hmm. That would be something. Well, well, you know, Wonder Woman doesn't have that rich a uh, a trove of uh, rogues. <laughs> so, in fact, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know where they would go. I mean, because they just use oh, Cheetah. It's probably going to be Circe. I'm completely sure it's going to be. Because the problem is that they cannot do... Silver Van Chi because it's too similar to the Golden Armor and the, the concept of best friend becoming bad guy, they're not going to go that trope again. And the Circe of... You just basically read what uh, they have done recently with Circe as a bad guy. It's a very interesting concept of a character as a bad guy in terms of one or one. Well, what do you guys think about uh, this announcement in terms of Wonder Woman 3 being fast-tracked? Do you think that Patty Jenkins is the one to do this uh i uh i am like you i think that uh, i would like to see a different voice um as a director um of another film but hey she probably maybe she contractual things going on if it does x y and z she gets the option to to do a three and knowing what everything that happened in terms of this setup, and you know them them paying them paying them out their bonuses uh, that they would have got if it were least theaters, they just paid them out. Mm-hmm. That hey, uh, you know it's Patty Jenkins trilogy. I, I can see how that could sell, and it, it could probably work. Um, 
Yeah, it's just, I I know I'm I'm going to be going into it with lower expectations for me, for what I would like to see something different from a Wonder Woman project going on. And mm-hmm. I think I'm kind of where Julian is too. I mean, I I have no problem with her direction. Um, I don't know what elements she contributed to the script. I mean, she co-wrote it with Jeff Johns, and I think Jeff Johns is a talented but radically uneven creator. Um, I haven't. There, there's things that I've liked of his. There's things that I've been deeply, deeply disappointed in, and I don't know what the mix was there. And on that basis, I'm a little bit leery of seeing her as co-writer of the script. Um, I would much rather hand it to someone who's got a better track record of doing superhero movies. But, um, you know, again, it's, I feel like Julian does. I mean, I, I will probably watch the third movie, but with lowered expectations and the kind of the, the preconception that there may be some problematic stuff in it that she's either blind to or just not picking up on as she's writing it. That's fair. Um, hmm. the, the way I see it specifically is that it's, I call it the man on steel complex. It's like when I when I see what Zack Snyder did with Superman, I think he did. You mean what Zack Snyder did to Superman? Oh god, yeah. <laughs> he really, 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 really did damage to the character, specifically in terms of how he interpreted the character. I don't feel the same way about what happened with Wonder Woman. The cool thing about Wonder Woman, specifically after these movies are done and you can bring another director, is that the core of the character is still the same. She is a woman in exile who happens to be come from Paradise Island, who's a winger, who believes in a philosophy of peace, specifically when she's fighting for good. And she tries to, you know, if she has to kick ass, she has to kick ass, but if she has to try to talk somebody down and basically extend her hand to fix things, she'll do it. And the core of the character, in my humble opinion, Patty Jenkins kept it. The problem I have with the Zack Snyder version of Superman is that it shows a complete lack of understanding of the character. That the, the, the whole point of him is basically presenting a character that was like the, the version of Nietzsche, of Nietzsche and uh, Anne Ryan of Superman, not the Superman that two Jewish kids created in the 1930s. So I'm not I'm perfectly okay with her coming back to do Wonder Woman and even if they replace it, but I feel like she'll do fine and the character will be fine because the identity of the character is still the same. Well I'll I'll throw I'll throw out a controversial opinion here and I'll offer the opinion that Wonder Woman's fundamental problem as a character is that she is so poorly defined. And this contributes to her having a relatively scattershot and weak rogues gallery the you mean you can look at batman and say batman is there to fight weird criminals he's basically picked up his rogues gallery in essence from dick tracy's rogues gallery these really twisted and ugly characters that embody because they embody crime they are also ugly physically um that's that's batman's thing and superman's thing is he's here from another planet and he's got all these powers and he's here to help and that's what he's here to do, to yes. be the super ultra. But Wonder Woman is so many different things. She's sort of an ambassador slash exile from, you know, Paradise Island slash Themyscira. She's a mythological 
creation. She's, you know, got the power of truth. But so the question is, what really defines an opposite number for her? And the fact that she's not so clearly defined herself, I think, really frustrates that. That's a good point. You know, and I, and I, and I think that makes, makes it very, very difficult to create very sharply drawn opposites to her because she's trying to do so many different things all at the same time that there's nothing you can say. There's, there's, no, there's no elevator pitch that really encapsulates Wonder Woman, I think, the way that you would with Batman or Superman. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA, 96.7 FM, and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle, Roberto Ortiz, and Drew Bittner. We were just talking about the release of the new movie, Wonder Woman 84, which dropped on Christmas Day. The reviews of this movie have been all over the place, and... In terms of the fan reaction, there's some people like Roberto who have really loved it. There have been some people who have hated this movie like oh, yeah. the plague, you know, and well, a bunch of people in between. Too. Now, look, am I dreaming or is this more across the board than it usually is for a superhero film? Uh, no, I think, I think it's it is all it's, it's all over the place. I so more definitely. Yeah, I think it's the way in which they chose people to see the movie for review versus usual because it's the pandemic and they got to choose who they wanted to see it versus doing screenings in which I guess whoever the marketing companies decide to contact to the critics within the area and which they see in mass in the theater. So it was like a sprinkling of people. They chose to see it first, which was like amazing reviews. Then people closer to release, starting to get a little bit different the tone shifting then you get to people who review it after seeing it on christmas it's like nah fam this ain't it so i i i think the way in which it was seen by those who do reviews affected how chaotic it looks in terms of the uh the state of the reviews for this film well, and how about- it shifted yeah. Well, what about those people who just are fans or moviegoers? Because I was kind of lumping that in in terms of their reaction. Because uh, looking at social media, for example, I've seen a bunch of people who have said, oh, yeah, no, I really liked it. It was really good. Some people who thought that it was really bad. And then something else that I've just found extremely curious about this and other films, which seems to be this attitude on the part of some moviegoing fans, hey, why are you being so critical of this movie? Just be happy that we got it, which I have always been totally mystified by because I just don't get it. I don't understand why anybody is going to tell me that I shouldn't be critical of a film. You know, I'll, anyway. I'll you one that blows my mind that uh, when somebody basically says that they like something or not, oh, you they throwing words that are very controversial. Oh, you're a social justice warrior or something like that. And he's like, no, I just want to talk about the movie. And so, I, I don't know, I think we, we're in a very weird time where certain opinions can be misconstrued and people take them to really weird paths. Uh, I agree with you, and I think that applies to people who have um, left-leaning and right-wing leanings. It's very weird 
I think a lot of people bring a lot to the conversations without realizing they're doing so. We're starting to politicize our opinions of movies too, so. Yeah. yeah. You should see some of the com for example, uh Star Wars. Um I I love the last episode of Mandalorian, right? Then I go to YouTube and you should see the analysis they do in YouTube and they go in this weird right wing rants or this weird left wing rants and it's like, okay, can we talk about the show? You know, what's good and what's bad, not this this person is awful for doing this decision or or anything. It's always this angles that are very bizarre and been seeing that a lot more in fandom that the this weird agendas basically from the individuals keep popping up. I'm not saying that the, the content itself is not supposed to have a message. Of course it does. But how people are reacting to the messages become very weird. Very well, weird. And, and and frankly, how they're interpreting the message. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned The Mandalorian because I had wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about that last episode before we got out of here. We're almost out of time. But uh, there's, you know, obviously the authoritarian nature of uh, the, the, well, the Imperials and the First Order. There's some people, and I've noticed this from when the stuff first came out, because there were, there were friends of mine who, they were rebels. You know, there's some other friends, they're Imperials, I mean, and totally dedicated to it. You know, very guy I know, in fact, he, you know, we're still friends. You know, he was one of those, you know, Vader trooper guys, you know, I mean, wearing the black and, you know, it's like, it was like a regular Imperial outfit with the black with the helmet and stuff. And I was like, why would you even want to dress up like that? I mean, you know, I, I didn't get it. So, um, but I frankly was so excited about seeing Luke Skywalker again. <laughs> and that, I mean, yeah. that was for, for me, that was what it was all about. And when that one individual X-Wing pulled into the launch bay and, uh, you know, you had uh, the, um, what was it, uh, Cara Dune character, and she's like, oh, a single X-Wing, we're saved. And I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe you are. <laughs> Let's see who gets out of this thing. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, you know, here's a Jedi, you know, faceless Jedi, you can't see him, but you did see that one glove on his hand wearing a green, using a green saber, and he was making short work of those droids. I mean, yeah. he was, and yeah, you had yeah. seen the Mandalorian had had... I mean, just fighting one of them, you know, it was like, oh, I got to get lucky if I'm going to beat you kind of thing. And he was just wading through these things. I mean, I was just, I was, I was practically screaming as I was watching that scene. You know, one of the things I love about what they've done in Mandalorian, basically the simplicity of the story, though, because you're seeing a gunslinger, you're seeing a knight, that would be Luke Skywalker. You're seeing a running samurai, that would be Ashoka. You will see a burnout ex-soldier, that would be the Karadun character. And he basically is telling stories of these archetypes. See, very straightforward. And it works. He realizes that basically Star Wars is supposed to be a, an environment where you can tell archetypal type stories. And it works. Well, but how do you react to the criticism was, that Filoni is ripping this stuff off from old Akira Kurosawa movies and westerns? Star Wars, Star Wars is a ripoff. Rip <laughs> what are you talking you know, about? 
You know what, Yuli? Yuli? Bologna's mm-hmm. the creator of the Lost Archetypes. Ha 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 ha! Hidden Fortress? I mean, seriously! Lucas will be the first one to tell you, yeah, it is a ripoff. It's supposed to be a ripoff. It's the people and who homage. don't get it. Sorry? And homage. It's a ripoff. <laughs> Everything's a ripoff. And it's fine. It's, I love the Ashoka episode because they on purpose tell you, yes, this is a homage to Akira Kurosawa. And yes, this is a homage to the Spaghetti Westerns of Clint Eastwood. If you don't see this, you're a damn fool. We're telling you on purpose. See? She looks on purpose like a running samurai. We're going back to the original idea of Star Wars, which is archetypes. I want to tell you a story about archetypal characters. It's like uh, Boba Fett. You know what they decide to do with Boba Fett, which is brilliant? He is a barbarian. He's Conan. And his partner is Ransonja. And how the series ended, they pushed that archetype really to your face, where it looks like a freaking Frank Frazetta painting at the end. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, he really does. Hadn't thought about that, but I think you're on to something. It's on purpose. This is like, we're going to go back to the concept of archetypes. And in this sucky year of 2020, we need that. We don't need the construction of a hero. And this is what a problem, a lot of people had the problem with the sequels is that they were doing a lot of deconstruction in an era that don't didn't need that. We don't need the cynicism. We don't need to take apart the hero. We need the hero. Um, I only yeah. think this, only The Last Jedi was deconstructing anything. I think that's the biggest problem is that J.J. wasn't deconstructing anything. Oh, J.J. didn't bring anything new to And the then time. The Last Jedi yeah. was deconstructing and it was divisive. And they brought JJ back. And he had to try to. He tried to do too much in a two-hour movie, but that's I a mean, longer conversation. But I think it's literally only the Last Jedi that's a deconstructing piece of the sequel trilogy. But maybe Filoni will fix that too, like he did the prequels. I, I he is he's already laying on the groundwork because the concept of what they're trying to do is basically the fact that fascism is something that doesn't go away it comes back in cycles and you can show the story of how fascism comes back i love what you were saying about your friend who's imperial i love what they're showing that with imperials which is brilliant with the character of mayfield that they show some people who believe they drink the kool-aid of believing in the empire as a form to bring order but they don't see it as evil and there's other imperials who are nuts and I like the fact that they're creating that conflict within the Empire. That there's people who believe in the fact that the galaxy is a mess. And yeah. Very timely, particularly now. But yeah. see, Roberto, and, and you're, you're, you're talking like it's still 2020. 2021, baby. It's like a brand new year. Brand I'm new. I'm celebrating without the woods, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank our panelists and you two for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show, and you can check that out. Uh, check your local listings because it might be on in your area. Or, of course, you can always visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. We've got complete episodes of the show along with the different segments broken out for your convenience. Also, 
If you miss any portion of the radio show, you can tune back in to WERA on Thursday afternoons at 3 p.m. Show re-airs from 3 to 4. Also, it's available as a podcast on all the platforms where podcasts can be heard, thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy New Year, everybody, and tune in again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.